I'm going to go ahead and get us started on lesson three for arcing. Lesson three for arcing. Uh, I will go ahead and uh, pray for us this morning. Uh, and then we'll get rolling on this third lesson. Father, I thank you that you have given to us um, on account of Christ bearing our sin into the grave uh, that you have accomplished what the law could not accomplish by giving us the Holy Spirit, changing us from the heart, not a spirit of slavery where we are afraid of punishment, but a spirit of adoption and inheritance. And so I ask, Lord, that in light of that bounty, uh, that you would help us to learn how to think well about your meaning as we read over the words of life. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so uh, what we've done thus far is we've gone over what arcing is, which is a graphical Bible study tool for displaying, tracing the line of thought. Of course, what sits underneath that is the conviction uh, that thinking God's thoughts after him is what truly changes us. That's the way in which our minds are renewed and, and formed into Christ's likeness. And so we've also talked about how arcing is really just a two-step process. If what we're trying to do is to trace and, and display the way that different ideas relate to each other, then the two-step process is to, one, break a, pro a passage down into its individual ideas, and then, two, show how those ideas relate to each other logically. And so we've spent all of the first two lessons talking about those logical relationships, step two. So you've had a cheat sheet, you've been working through Romans 8, Today, we're going to now circle back around and address step one. How do you identify the individual ideas within a passage and then separate them out? So that's our goal for uh, lesson three here. And specifically what I want is I want for you to be able to define a proposition by the end of it, you, to know what a proposition is. When we say the word proposition, this is not something uh, in government. This is uh, in the taxonomy of arcing, a proposition is an idea. And then the next thing is I want you to be able to break a passage down because you'll notice that there's no materials laid out like there have been the first two lessons. That's because now, at the end of this, you're going to be able to take next week's passage and break it down yourself. And so uh, that's kind of the goal here. All right. Now... How many people actually enjoy English grammar? All right. John, this is the day where all of those times in elementary and middle school grammar class where you're like, why do I need to know this? This will never help me. Today is the day you eat those words. <laughs> because grammar are the rules of language. And language communicates meaning, right? It's how 
we get an idea that's in my head into your head. And so by understanding how grammar works, we're then able to understand how ideas are related and built together. And so today we're going to do a, almost entirely all grammar and about how that affects what makes up a proposition. Now, for those of you who just decided that you are now gonna pull out your phone, um, let me give you a quote from Piper that's really helpful and humbling. An evangelical believes that God humbled himself, not only in the incarnation of the Son, but also in the inspiration of the scriptures. Both of them are fully God, fully man in a very mysterious way. The manger and the cross were not sensational. Neither are grammar and syntax. But that is how God chose to reveal himself. A poor Jewish peasant and a prepositional phrase have this in common. They're both human and ordinary. That the poor peasant was God and the prepositional phrase is the word of God does not change this fact. Therefore, if God humbled himself to take on human flesh and to speak human language, woe to us if we arrogantly presume to ignore the humanity of Christ and the grammar of Scripture. And one of the things that I can say from personal experience is that when I'm a lot more familiar with how grammar works, I'm able to identify word choice and how it supports the overall meaning of what the author is saying in a sentence. And so that's what we're doing here, is we're going to figure out how to identify the individual ideas within a sentence, and understanding grammar is going to help us do that. All right. Um, We've seen a couple more people in here, and I'll just kind of recap. Homeschool moms rejoice. We are going over English grammar today so that we can better understand how to identify the individual ideas within a passage. All right. So what is a proposition? A proposition, in the simplest way to say it, is a verbal idea. A verbal idea. Why a verbal idea? Because it's verbs that communicate meaning. Think about what the author's intended meaning is in this. Jesus. What's the author communicating? I don't know. There's no verb there. I don't know what idea he's trying to get across. But when I add a verb, now there's an idea, a concept, meaning behind it. The difference between Jesus and Jesus wept is that the latter contains a verb where the former does not. Verbs are the actions and tell us what will happen, what is happening, or what has happened. The exception being, of course, to be verbs, which tell us what is. All ideas must contain a verbal idea, though sometimes the verb is merely implied. All right, so a proposition is a verbal idea, which means that when we want to go and identify ideas, one of the things that we're looking for first is where are the verbs? Now, uh, let me also step back for just a second and, and say this. 
For some of you, this is going to be very intuitive, and the actual rules and mechanics are going to be just right over your head. I don't care. And you'll still probably be able to do it pretty well, because you can go, that's an idea, that's an idea, that's an idea, and break it all down. And then for your type A's, really analytical disk assessment, you're high on the C, you want to know the rules. What are the rules that I have to follow in order to break this down correctly? This is going to be more for you, all right? So here are the rules on how we do this. But the first thing we want to do is we just want to practice English grammar. All right, so here's a passage. Oh, sorry, I'll, I'll do this first. So with English, we have verbs, and then we have subjects, and then we have the object of a verb, right? So whenever we're looking at a sentence, the, the question is not, what is the subject? The question is, more specifically, what is the subject of the verb? And what is the object of that same verb? The subject, over here, tells us what, who or what did the verb, right? It can be explicit or implied. The object of a verb answers the what question we are left with after noting the subject and the verb. So, the verb is baked. Who did the verb? Tara did the verb. What did Tara bake? The object, bread. All right, basic English. All right, now we're gonna do it together. All right, so we're gonna read through this. Uh, I pulled this from the sermon text uh, today and we're going to identify all the verbs together. All right, so I just want you to call them out and not stare at me. All right, so what is the first verb in the passage? Good, supported. What about the next one? Good, and the next one? Ooh. All right, somebody a little more confidently. That's right. May be counted. That's actually the verb. And you're like, wait, that's multiple words. Yes, that's because that's how we display that verb in English, that particular tense. All right, what's the next one? Good. And then the next one? Good. Next. Another tricky one. Good. Next, might here, good, because it's called a subjective or a subjunctive tense. And then what is the last verb in the sentence? Very good, very good. So those are all of the verbs. And so now we're on the hunt to identify the individual ideas within this particular passage. All right, so now we'll do the next one, and I want you guys to tell me the subject of each of these verbs, all right? So what's the subject of the first verb supported? Who is doing the verb? Very good, all right. So no one supported me. All right, what about the subject of deserted? Good. Uh, what about maybe counted? Good, all right. Homeschool moms are leading the, the way here. All right, uh, 
a strong non-educator male voice. Let's hear, uh, what about stood? What's the subject for that? Good. Strengthened? Good. Good. That's right. It, it calls back. All right. Might be. Good. It might be fully accomplished. Good. And then uh, might hear. Good. And then was rescued. Good. Very good. So those are all there. I, I'm sorry if it's not the easiest thing in the world to see. All right. Let's move to the next one, which is now we're going to call out the objects. You ready? All right. So the objects, actually just for time, I'm going to throw them up there and you just tell me in your mind whether or not you got them right. No one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted, no object, because against them, unless you want to consider it an object, is a prepositional phrase. The Lord stood with me is, again, a prepositional phrase, and strengthened, but this time, no prepositional phrase, so me is the object. All right? Now, we said again that propositions are verbal ideas. So when I begin to break this passage up, you'll see that now the individual ideas, those little red slashes indicate the breaks, those are the individual ideas that exist within the passage. So then the next question I begin to ask myself is how do all of these ideas relate? And which one supports the other ones so that we're slowly seeing how every single idea within the passage works to support the overall logic of the passage. And that's what you guys have been doing in lesson one and two is thinking through logical relationships between different ideas. This is how we would do it. All right, so that was just basic subject, verb, object, and we break everything up according, according to verbs. But just your common verbs are not the only verbal parts of speech. There are other verbal parts of speech. Anybody want to blurt one out? Come on, homeschool moms. Verbal parts of speech. No, all right, so a verbal part of speech is something that has a verbal quality to it. So I'll give you an example. Here's the first one. An infinitive. You all remember this from grade school or middle school or whenever you learned it? An infinitive. This is the basic form of a verb. And in English, it's really easy to spot because it almost always starts with to. Now, sometimes that can be the beginning of a prepositional phrase, but to. And the reason I want to work through each of these different types of verbal parts of speech is because you are going to want to know when do I break that off and when do I not? When do I leave it with the other verbs in the sentence? Okay? So, an infinitive in the first sentence is to bake. Tara loves to bake. Now, if you see that the verb is loves, but there's a verbal idea in to bake, right? What does she love? She loves to bake. That's actually the object. So the question that we're trying to clarify in going through this is, well, then do I break that off into a new idea? And the answer is no. 
For infinitives, the rule that you'll want to remember, I'm going to put all these slides up on the church center so that you have them. The rule you'll want to remember is that infinitives stay with the, or other, the idea of the sentence that they're already a part of, unless it communicates purpose. Unless it communicates purpose. Tara bakes to serve. You see how that second sentence, the infinitive is communicating the purpose behind the verb. And so for that reason, we would break it down so that we can display an action purpose relationship. That helps us to see the logic of the passage. You see, in the first one, that would be totally useless. The second one, very helpful in identifying the logic. All right, everybody's head hurts. Let's move to the next one. Next verbal idea that we need some clarity on called participles. Participles, ooh. These are verbal modifiers. So think about words that have a verbal flavor to them, or let's say it this way, there's a verbal form of that word, but it's being used to modify something else. So it normally in English has an ing on the end of it. So for example, Tara uses, that's the verb, a cooling rack. Cooling is a participle, but you see how there's a verbal idea behind it, to cool. Something cools, that's a verb. So should I break that off? No. A cooling rack, you see how we have the idea of something that cools is modifying the word rack. It's functioning as an adjective there. We would leave those together. However, we would break it off, participles and participial phrases, in the event that it is functioning adverbally, meaning that what it modifies is not a noun, but a verb. So for example, Tara breaks or bakes bread following, you see how follow is a verbal idea, a recipe. What is following a recipe modifying? It's telling us how Tara bakes. See how it points back to the actual verb in the sentence? And since it's functioning adverbally, we would break it off because those are two ideas, two separate ideas. And we could say that, for example, this is an action-manner relationship. We have the action, Tara bakes. The manner in which she bakes is following a recipe. So if, it, if the participle is modifying a verb, break it off. If it's modifying a noun or something else, leave it together because it would otherwise not make sense. It's not its own individual idea. All right, next one. There's only two more. There's only two more. The next one, prepositional phrases. Now, this isn't necessarily a verbal idea, but it's a part of speech in which you're going to want to know, do I break that off separately or leave it with the idea that it's supporting? So a prepositional phrase is a nonverbal add-on to a proposition, which includes a preposition and an object of that preposition. So here's an example from Romans 8. We groan, verb is groan, within ourselves. We groan within ourselves. It's a prepositional phrase. Do I break it off? No. 
And in fact, with prepositional phrases, your default is to leave them with the original idea. The only exception is if there is a very large amount of theological or logical significance. So, for example, from this week's passage, but if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body. By the Spirit is so significant to how we understand putting to death the deeds of the body that we want to break that off and ask, how is it functioning within the passage? That's an example of one that is incredibly significant, and therefore we would make our exception and break the prepositional phrase off. And this would be an action manner again. By the Spirit is the manner. You are putting to death the deeds of the body is the action. All right. Last one. This is what's called a relative clause. A relative clause is those phrases that start with who, that, which, whom, and they always point backwards towards an antecedent within the sentence. So, you are the audience who is staring at me with glazed eyes. Who is staring at me with glazed eyes is pointing back to what word? Very good, yeah, and that's a relative clause. So the question is, do we break those off or do we leave those together? So you do not break them off if, here are the two things that you're looking for. And again, these are for those people who love the rules. You don't break them off if it is simple or has a defining role. All right, simple means that the relative clause only has one verbal idea within it. If it has more than one, it's not simple, it's complex. So you would break that off. The phrase defining role means, is my understanding of what it's modifying going to be com completely lost if I break this off? So, for example, let those of us who are mature think this way. You can see how in his reasoning, if I broke off who are mature, what he's saying no longer makes sense. Because there's a specific us and a specific logic, and that is those of us who are mature. So those need to stay together. Because then I won't understand us if I don't. You can also see how in that one it's simple. There's only one verbal idea, to be or are. However, down here, you'll see that this one is neither simple. There's two verbal ideas. Brothers whom I love and I long for. Love, long, those are two verbal ideas. And that complexity means that that satisfies the first check. Do I break it off? And then the second one is, does it have a defining role? No, he's giving additional information, but it doesn't define the logic of what brothers means. You could have just said, my brothers stand firm, and it doesn't change anything. But the sentence above it, let those of us think this way, doesn't make sense without the phrase, who are mature. His entire meaning changes. All right. So this is how you break things down. Identify the verbal idea and then begin to break it down according to these rules. Most of these things you're going to do intuitively. Now, how do you do that? Because I've previously just been providing you handouts with the passage broken down. 
Now you're going to get a chance to do it yourself. What are some ways that you can do that that aren't going to be a huge headache? All right, so I've got four different tools you can use. Number one is BibleArt.com. That's the one that I've been using for over 10 years now. That is so hard to see. Um, BibleArt.com, the one on the side, is built with all the relationships in it, uh, the ability to break things down. One of the other things, you, it's like $9, $10 a month. Incredibly affordable. It's got a study Bible in there with tons of cross-references, breakdowns and concordances of individual English language, or uh, the original language for each of these, both Hebrew, Greek, etc. I use it all the time, constantly. If I, uh, for, for Bible study, and particularly for a passage, I don't go into a passage I'm trying to understand without breaking it down first. And for those of you in this room that are similar to me, and I'll allow you to remain anonymous, that have a hard time paying attention to the sermon, I've found that when I arc it first, I can follow. Because my mind has already worked through the logic of the text. I need, personally, for the preacher to stand up and say, point one, this. Point two, this. And then I can follow along. We don't do that here. Not very often. And so it's hard for me to follow. But if I arc it first, I can see exactly what he's thinking through. I can see how what he's saying maps to the logic of the text. Very helpful. All right, so uh, BibleArc.com is great. I love using it. I would highly recommend it. The other thing they have, and for most of you who just can't consistently be here every single week, or who have been every single week and still feel like you're in the fog, they also offer an add-on for courses where you can come and learn arcing. You can learn bracketing. You can learn sentence diagramming. You can learn something called phrasing. And they are so good, and they're worshipful. They really, really are. It's not just like taking a classroom course. It's, it's truly worshipful. It's very helpful. I've gone back and taken so many courses with these guys. It's very, very well done. Uh, that add-on is like 40 bucks a month, and then as soon as you finish the course, it's over. You get instructional feedback, so you submit your art. Your instructor then goes through the arc and tells you what you got wrong, got right, etc. So big plug there for Bible Arc. I don't get anything for it. All right, the next best, personally, I think is a piece of notebook paper. I would take the passage and write it out on a piece of notebook paper. Sometimes I do this when I'm just sick of staring at a screen. And I'm like, all right, I just want to get offline and work this out. So for you technophobic out there, uh, help is on the way in the sheet uh, form of wide rule notebook paper. Uh, another one, if you want to do it on a computer, is you can just use a word processor or you can use a spreadsheet and then print it out and then draw your arcs from there. So those are my recommendations on how you can do this. Um, and that is the end of us going over grammar and how it works into breaking down propositions. Let me, let me pause and ask a very specific question. Is there anything that I said that you're like, wait, could you clarify that? Nope. Cool. Yes. You'd have to buy it individually if you want an individual account. Um, now, I do know that they do like group pricing for like churches and stuff. 
So I don't know how that would work. Never done that personally. Uh, it used to actually, I know, I'm probably not for me to say this. Uh, it used to be free, but you couldn't save your work. Then they had to raise the price in order to support it. Um, but they are, it's, it's really, really well done. It was started by a Bethlehem College and Seminary student who is learning this method. And he's like, well, I'm a programmer. Let me just come up with a way to do this on the computer because all the other ways are annoying to have to constantly erase things and draw them back. Um, but it's really, really well done. All right. Um, it's 945. I, I do want to encourage you guys that have been working on these arcs. Um, here's, oops, mine's not up there. Um, I put videos on the church center for every single passage that we have been arcing thus far. So even if this is your first time sitting in here and doing this, you can still watch me go through and arc every single passage. The passage for next week is going to be Romans 8, I think it's 18 through 25. Yeah, Romans 18, 18 through 25. And it's where Paul begins to, uh, begins to wrestle with uh, how all of creation longs to be released. All right, um, so you can get that on the church center. You can go to Bible Arc, sign up for courses if you want additional help. Um, the content in the courses are all free. The only thing that you actually have to pay for to, in order to do the courses is if you want instructional feedback. That's the only thing that you have to pay for. All right, so I will pray, and I do highly encourage, as some of you, many of you have already done, if you have any questions at all, like literally just want to shoot me a Marco Polo of your phone staring at a piece of paper trying to make sense of something and you have a question, nothing is too small. It's not an interruption. It fills me with joy. And especially knowing that, you know, my family's not going to be here too much longer, uh, there is nothing I would enjoy doing more than helping you guys uh, get, your, get yourself acclimated to this system. All right, I'll pray. Father, we thank you for... Um, we thank you for your condescension that the infinite God of all wisdom has revealed himself and has condescended to a form we can understand. You've spoken to us through a man and you have spoken to us through inspired men and now it is a treasure trove laying in front of us if we'll but take the time to think carefully about what it is that you're saying. Do pray for Grace Church. I pray, Lord, that you'd give them a taste of what it's like to discover things for, their, for themselves, to discuss it amongst the community. I pray, Lord, that you'd teach them uh, the joy of what it feels like to do real battle um, for their souls and the gospel with not just verses, precious as they are, but with your actual arguments and logic. You gave us minds, not to be a distraction from the heart, but to be its usher. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, you would unlock their fullest created potential as they think over your inspired words. In Christ's name, amen.